Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son, the Saviour of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in him abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, so that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters, are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. This is the word of the Lord. Will you stand for the Gospel reading? It is on page 104 of the Bibles, the New Testament. Uh, John chapter 13, beginning at the first verse. This is just to the fifth verse, and then carrying on from verse 33. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. 
Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Friends, as we stand, let me lead you in a short prayer. Father, thank you for the gift of your written word. We pray that your spirit would rest upon us as we consider its teaching and enable us to live it out in our lives that Christ might be formed. In whose name we pray. Amen. There are at least a couple of advantages to having children. You get the birthday present, maybe a Christmas card, and the thought that when you're in a nursing home, they might visit you. The advantages, the disadvantages, however, are considerable. You've got the marble. That's the marble you step on at night time when you go to their cot and hasn't been tidied away. It's particularly painful. You've got the driving lesson. That really is a fate worse than death. The worst, it seems to me, is the argument. For when you get stuck into an argument with your children, they've learned your skills of debate and argument, and they've learned how to adapt and modify it, and then when they reply back, all you're listening to is yourself. <laughs> it's excruciating. The point of this painful exercise will become apparent as we consider John's argument, page, uh, let me give it for you, 238 from 1 John chapter 4. It should be quite straightforward, for he starts off by saying, love each other. It's there, chapter 4, verse 7. Because, God is lo because love is from God, everyone who loves is born of God. Let's love one another. And so the passage ends. The commandment we have from him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters. The argument should be pretty straightforward. 
and indeed speaking to Christian people in a lovely Christian church building, love each other, you could be forgiven. Well, yeah, I pretty much know that. A couple of true stories. One from last year, Ali and I attended an event I don't think we've ever experienced before, particularly because this lady in her 80s stood up and said the reason for the gathering, which was a considerable number of people in a very nice setting with lovely music and lovely food, a good time was had by all. And she said, do you know what? Why is it that you only ever have the really good parties at your funeral service? Because it seems to me I'm not going to be there when I have the party. So I'm, I'm having this party now to say I love you and I really appreciate you. It was a good do. But it was an even more powerful line. And then recently, visiting someone in our parish who's been the recipient of love, care and support, said to me, I didn't know so many people loved me. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let's love one another. That should be the argument, the top and bottom of it. But for goodness sake, don't wait till you die (laughs) to make it happen. And, And don't wait till you're sick and ailing. It should be common sense, shouldn't it? Let's love one another. Part of John's argument is the persuasion of love. This is the only part of the New Testament which seeks to actually demonstrate that you can prove the existence of God. Because, of course, you can't point to Jesus with his beard and his open-toed sandals walking around in his white robe in Palestine in Galilee. You can't point to him. The power of persuasion of love. Notice it's there in verse 12. No one has ever seen God. Yeah, I've got that. I can't point to Jesus. And the arguments are complicated. I know he's there, but they don't know he's there. And no one's seen him, so how can you prove his existence? It's there in verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God's love is made perfect in our midst. Notice too the psychology of love, the common sense, the practicality of it. It's there in verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear which all of us have and all of us feel with insecurities, what is going to happen? How will I be treated? Perfect love casts out that fear. What a wonderful example, therefore, of a Christian community that's filled with love, demonstrating practically to others that God exists by not even saying a word. And those hidden things that lurk beneath every human being. Is it going to be all right? What am I afraid of? The love that speaks deeply to that and and casts it out. It liberates it. Perfect love from God casts out that fear. No wonder the argument is, let's love one another. Of course, the arguments I love with my children (laughs) are the ones I win. (laughs) What do you call it? 
It's slam dunk, game over, end of, way. We're now getting to the point of John's argument as to why we should love each other. And, and this really is game over. He has won the argument. And the difficulty, of course, for Christian hearers, yeah, we get that. We can see the arguments won. But it's actually quite difficult to put into practice. Notice how he uses this line in his argument. And it's there in verse uh, 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. There's a sense in which we ought to love God because he first loved us. Read verse 11. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. And the slam dunk argument is to point not to Jesus and his beard and his robe and his open-toed sandals, if that's as it was, but to the historical fact of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And so you point to him and you say, here is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and that we ought, therefore, to love each other. Life, however, cannot be lived with the auteries. We ought to do this. We should do that. This is what we ought to do. The more you push that, and I hesitate to use a medical illustration because there are those more gifted than I am here, it's what's known in my trade as the hardening of the auteries. For the hardening of the arteries, with all that fur and stiffness, will stop the blood flowing. Physically, it will end in a heart attack. Spiritually, it will mean that there's no blood flowing. You can't live off arteries. I ought to be doing that. I ought to be visiting. I ought to be saying that. I ought to be loving. And in fact, John's argument, which is why it's a slam dunk, why it's game over, he's not actually saying that. We ought to love each other because we first know that God comes and fits a stent. <laughs> he opens the arteries up. There's an elixir solvent that dissolves all cholesterol, that softens all the vessels, and that blood will flow. His spirit comes and abides within us. In fact, probably the litmus test, if this love task of all humanity, of Christian people and of the church, if it's waning, if it's becoming tiring, it's not because you're losing the argument, it's not because you're not a good Christian. It's because life for you needs to be inhabited by the Spirit of God. The Spirit has poured God's love into our hearts. It's like an infusion. This is the assumption, this is the argument that John is making. As we receive bread and wine, so Stephen later on will be mentioning in the prayer that said, God who sees that we have no power of ourselves to help ourselves 
then brings us his spirit. How does the pop song go? All out of love. Somehow opening ourselves up to God's love. Not living an entitled life. I need to win. I have to do that. I deserve this. I will get that. But living an indebted life. I've been loved. I'm the recipient of mercy. I don't deserve this. That's why mercy and grace are binary pairs. We don't need, we need God's mercy and on that he brings us his grace and the gift of his spirit, his overflowing love into our hearts and lives. Of course it's not about winning the argument, otherwise you might lose the person. But God's love shed abroad in our hearts, melts our hearts, wins our allegiance and does, in time, give us the ability to love as he loves us. Let me read John's concluding verse again and we'll have a moment's quiet and I'll lead you in a prayer. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Father, thank you for those who love us. Thank you for the gift of your Son, for the gift of your Spirit. We pray even now you'd melt our hearts and open our hearts to the gift of your love, ever present in Jesus, because of his death and resurrection in whose name we pray. Amen.